Our sermon series this month is uh, We Are Here to Change the World. We are here to change the world. And, and tonight I'm going to be speaking about how my actions can change the world. How we live our lives, uh, how we conduct ourselves uh, can change the world. It can change the world around us. It can change, uh, it can help people in their lives. So important uh, the way we live that God, he, he puts value and it matters to him how we live our lives. I was says we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. I was, uh, when, when Pastor Dan said uh, the name of the sermon series is uh, we are here to change the world, I said, that's bold. I love that. That's confident. Uh, you know, when you walk into somewhere and they say, uh, what are you here for? And you say, we are here to change the world, man. That's, that's someone who believes in their God. That's someone who knows their God. That's someone who says, uh, I know in whom I serve. We're here to change the world. Truth is, though, when many of us got saved, we weren't coming into Christ. We weren't coming to Jesus uh, because we were ready to change the world. We were coming to Jesus because we ourselves needed to be changed. Right? We came in hurting, came in struggling, we came in battling. There was things going on in our lives, uh, and we needed uh, the supernatural power and the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit to change our lives. Many of us, we tried different things. We tried looking for answers in this and looking for answers in that, uh, and we found that nothing worked and nothing uh, uh, could help or change us until we met Jesus. And then we experience a, a move of God take place. The Bible says we came out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There was some that you might have been dealing with depression or oppression, and now you're walking in the freedom and the liberty of Jesus. God has done a mighty thing. He's taken us out of bondage, given us freedom, placed us into liberty. And we start coming to church, and we begin to hear the word of God, and something takes place within our lives. We begin to change the way we live. We no longer drink or smoke or cuss. People begin to take note. People begin to see that our lives are changing. They're, they're, some people might not like it. Some people might say, hey, man, I like the old you better, you know, when you were rocking and rolling, when you were having fun. And, 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 but they see something. They see something changing. And there's other people that look and they say, I knew you when you were rocking and rolling, and man, you needed Jesus, and there's something about you now. There's something that's different. There's something that's taking place, and, and what happens is a seed begins to be planted in their lives. I, I remember my brother years ago. He was telling me, he goes, you became a Christian. I didn't know you anymore. I began to resent God because you weren't my older brother that I knew. You were different. And over the years, he just began to watch and watch how I, is this for real? Is this guy just going through some phase or some fad? I remember one day him just saying, if you can change and if God can do something in your life, well, maybe, maybe he can do something in my life. And I tell you what, God has been doing something in his life. He's not perfect, uh, but God has been changing and transforming him. And that's how each and every one of us are. We're not perfect, but there's... Uh, that sanctification that's going on, there's that change that's taking place. And that's how we change the world. One soul at a time. One marriage at a time. One family at a time. One neighborhood at a time. One community at a time. One nation at a time. 
And that's how the, I, I really believe, in, in, in spite of everything that's going on with this country and, and, and the world and just the turmoil and the chaos, there's still hope. There's still hope. His name is Jesus. Amen? There's still hope. And, and I believe that scripture where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then God can come in and heal our land. Uh, that's you and I, church. We're God's people. And if we want to see something change in the world, it starts in the house of God. It starts on our knees. Our sermon series scripture, and the scripture I'm going to use for tonight as well, is found in 2 Timothy verse 19. And it says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. And that was his plan from the beginning. How you living, huh? I remember in the early 90s, in the early 90s hip-hop era, there was that phrase, how you living? Some of you that were around in that time know what I'm talking about. And when they would say, how you living, you know, they're asking you, how you doing, man? What's going on in your life? What's new? What, what are you working on? And, and you would say, I'm living large. I'm living large and in charge. I'm living fat, P-H, not with F, P-H, which means you are blessed. I mean, that good things were going on in your life. It means that, uh, that there was good things taking place. There was blessings in your life. And, and I may know that God wants to bless us. God blesses his children for no other reason but because we're his children, because he loves us. My kids, uh, they're blessed, uh, they, and they know they're blessed. I hope they know they're blessed. They're listening. And they're blessed not because, uh, you know, of, of what they do or don't do, but they're blessed because they're my children, and my wife and I, we, we want to bless our children. We want to bless our grandchildren. But how many know that blessings, they come at a cost? And, and it's not that we can earn a blessing, and, it, and God will honor our life, and you'll honor the decisions that we make, and there's certain decisions and stands that we take, and God blesses and honors that, but the blessings that I'm talking about that matter, they come at a cost. And I'm not talking about wealth or material or money. I'm not talking about those blessings. I'm talking about those, those blessings that you fought for in prayer, in tears, up all night, not giving up and seeking God. Those blessings that came through pain, those blessings that came through just wrestling with God, those blessings that you cannot put a price tag on. Those are the blessings that I'm talking about tonight. God blesses his people, and there's times where we've had to endure and sacrifice, and there's times where there's stands that we have to take. And one of the biggest stands that you and I will make as a Christian, one of the biggest stands that we'll take is the stand to live a godly life. Living godly. See, living godly in a corrupted world, it's not common. We're, we're literally, when you're living godly, is you're flowing against the mainstream. And there'll be times when, because you're living godly, because you're living right, uh, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. You, you may be persecuted. You may be made fun of. You might lose, you know, jobs families, friends. But I tell you what, uh, when you're living godly and when you're serving and living for God, one thing is for sure is that you will be watched. 
People's eyes will be upon you. People will be watching you to see how you live and how you endure whatever persecution or mockery or judgment could come against you. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I said, Brother Manny, I thought you were going to encourage us tonight. I am, I am. We, uh, I believe it was last Thursday, we had here in, in the church, we hosted a, an FBI uh, active shooter seminar. And I tell you what, it was insightful. It was eye-opening. I, I, I learned some things um, that evening. And, and what I was realizing is, is um, that these houses of worships are, are, are becoming targets. The devil hates what we do. The devil hates the stands that we take. The, the devil hates uh, the fact that we uh, uh, love God and we're living for God and we're reaching souls and we're reaching out. Uh, and so the enemy's strategy is to try to intimidate. Uh, the enemy's strategy is to try to instill fear. And the enemy's strategy is to try to discourage you from living a bold life in Christianity, living a life that is bold for Christ, a life that says, uh, I am a born-again Christian. The devil would want to try to silence uh, your testimony. But uh, you got to take the attitude of Tom Petty. I won't back down. Some of you rock and rollers know what I'm talking about. Won't back down. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep going forward. I'm going to keep fighting and pressing through. Uh, I was reading an article in Christianity Today. It was, um, it's the Open Doors World Watch List. It's the top 50 countries in the world where it's the most dangerous to follow Jesus. Every year they do this list, and some years, you know, one country's on top, and the other years, you know, they're not on top, but it's mainly always the same uh, uh, countries. And it's, it's saying that um, in these areas of the world, uh, following Jesus, being a Christian, being a born-again child of God, it means that uh, you might suffer imprisonment. You might suffer some kind of extreme violence against you or your family. You might even be put to death. They're saying that one in seven Christians uh, worldwide they suffer some level of extreme violence against them for their faith. What's interesting is that uh, in these regions where that church is persecuted, it's not shrinking. The church is actually growing. In spite of all the persecution and in spite of all of the threats and the assaults that come against uh, being a Christian, the church is growing. It's expanding. What I also noticed was that the United States was not on the list. And so what does that mean for us as a body? We might go through persecutions individually. We, like I said earlier, we, we might know what it means to suffer for serving Christ. But the church of God here in this nation, we're blessed because we have the freedom to worship. We have the freedom to serve. We have the freedom to boldly say that we are a Christian. And, and I really believe that uh, God wants to use us uh, to help those that are out there fighting that good fight of faith. And, and we can help through our prayers. We can help through our, our, our giving. But we could also help by the stands that we take and by the way that we live our lives. See, the world needs to see faithful witnesses 
faithful men and women boldly proclaiming their Savior. Because that's what makes an impact. That's what changes someone. It's when they see other individuals uh, just like them, without fear, without worry, serving God, fighting on and going, and going forward. What does it mean to live godly? Well, it means that we live a God-centered, a God-focused life. Uh, it means that we walk with God, that we have a relationship with him, not just a, a religion, not just a set of a rules of do's and don'ts, but we walk with God, we, we know God, we talk to God, we wake up in the morning and he's the first thing on our mind and we go to bed and he's the last one that we say goodnight to. It's that we have this personal, intimate, deep communion and fellowship with God. That's what changes our lives is that intimate relationship that we have with Jesus. Uh, if, you ever been, if you've been married any amount of time, you know that uh, you begin to pick up one another's uh, mannerisms and behaviors, right? It's kind of actually true of any relationship, any friendship, that uh, the more you spend time with someone, the more you begin to pick up their traits, the more you begin to pick up their habits. And, and that's why it's important, young person, that you choose your friends wisely and carefully. The Bible warns us that, that uh, bad company does corrupt good morals, good character. Because we do pick up each other's traits. We do pick up uh, one another's habits and, and speech and, and, and whatnot. And that's true when you're walking with Christ. When you're walking with God, when you have that fellowship with him, uh, you begin to pick up his nature. You begin to see your life transform. You begin to hear yourself start quoting scripture, his word. You're saying what he's saying. You begin to see your mind transformed through creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's talking about a fresh start. Thank God for a fresh start. No matter what we might have done in our past, no matter what sin we might have been a part of, no matter what we might have done to ourselves or to others, in Christ we can have that fresh start. In Christ, uh, we can have that second chance. Uh, in Christ, uh, we can experience a new life. And because we have that second chance, that fresh start, well, there's things that need to take place in our lives. We need to be uh, studying the Word of God, practicing the Word of God, and applying the Word of God into our lives. And as we, as we do that, as we read and as we pray and as we walk with God, we begin to see that our old sinful, habitual our habits begin to pass away, we begin to bring on new habits, new godly habits, righteous habits begin to develop within our lives. I, I, am, I was, when I was, writing this, I was writing this, I was thinking about when I first got saved 27 years ago, um, and I remember the first year of my salvation, uh, the different, uh, I, I didn't know anybody when I came uh, into church. I, uh, my brother and I, we came by ourselves, and then it was just me, and, and began to make friends. And, you know, when you make friends, right, they invite you places. Right? So I was being invited to the get-togethers, to the fellowships, to the um, holidays. I, I remember Fourth of July there at your grandmother's house. It was like Beirut, man, just all of the fireworks going off, you know, and, and, um, and I just remember at the end of that year, I was looking back and I was thinking like, you know what, man, 
this has been the best year of my life. I haven't had to drink. I haven't had to smoke. I haven't had to get high to enjoy myself. I just truly, really enjoyed my life. And I had friends that they were enjoying their lives. They weren't worried about the world and what the world thought, and they weren't worried about uh, trying to impress the world. They were just uh, living for Jesus. They were focused on Christ. They were focused on the things of God. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, it says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It says, set your mind, your thoughts, put it on the things above. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, uh, and do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like what the New Living Translation says. It says, don't copy the behavior and the patterns and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. The way we think needs to be changed. We shouldn't, some, we all have it at times, a stinking thinking, right, they call it? You know, and that's when we, when we find ourselves with wrestling with these thoughts as we bring them into the uh, captivity of Jesus Christ. We bring them under submission. We change the way we think uh, when it comes to decision making. Got to ask ourselves uh, some questions. Is, how is this going to affect not just me, but how's this going to affect my wife, my family, my children? How's this going to, this decision I'm going to make, is it going to bless or is it going to discourage? Have I counted the cost? Have I sought God? Have I sought counsel concerning these decisions that I'm about to make for my life? Because the decisions we make do impact others. They do have an effect on others, uh, obviously our immediate family, but others that we serve God with, others that we lock arms with in prayer and, and in service and in ministry with one another. We bless, we encourage, we build up one another. See, living a godly life means that we pursue God, that we chase after the things of God and that we learn how to chase and pursue and want to be part of what God is doing and allowing his character to influence and to change us. The fruit of the Spirit, in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. See, it's those traits that when at work and evident in the life of a believer, it's those traits that distinguish a child of God from the rest of the world. It's those traits uh, active and, and taking place in a person's life that it makes someone say there's something different about him. There's something unique about this person. You know, and oftentimes, uh, you, you, you know, people will, will see you and they'll say, what's different about you? What is, it, what is it about you? Why are you 
always so full of joy? Why are you always so happy? Why does it seem like nothing gets you down? What is it about you that's different? And you know what they're asking? They're asking for an open door, right? That's the open door that God has given you to say, let me tell you why. I wasn't always like this. But Jesus uh, made a change and an impact in my life. I used to be this, uh, and I used to do this, and I used to think like this. uh, But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, uh, these things began to change. These things began to happen in my life. And what are you doing now? You're making an impact in someone's life. You're letting them know uh, because they want to know what is it that you have? Because I want that. What is it that's changed you? What is it that gives you strength and hope? And you're there and you're able to tell them, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. We are different. The Bible says we are peculiar people. A chosen people, the Bible says. We, God has, has done a, a work within our lives. And in the life of every believer, there should be some, some standards present. There should be some things evident within our lives. And, and, uh, and one of them is a standard of righteousness. We're righteous because of what Jesus has done. Apart from Jesus, our righteousness is filthy rags, the Bible says. But, uh, but because of what Jesus has done and what he's done in our lives, we now are able to reflect the, the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and there is an expectancy that we live righteous. Because of what God has done in our hearts, it changes the way we live. We no longer want to be a part of what we used to be a part of. The Bible says uh, we're to come out from among them. The Bible says that we're to flee the youthful lust. Uh, the Bible says that we're not even to be a, even have so much as the appearance of evil. There's, there's a distinction in our lives uh, that we want to be closer to God, not closer to the world. We don't want to see how close we can get to the world without uh, sinning, but rather running from it and, and getting drawn closer to God. Holiness should be a part of our lives. Holiness. What it means to be holy? It means to be separated, consecrated. It means that now you belong to God and God is able to use you. You're a vessel set aside for God's perfect pleasure to be used, fit for the master's use. We were, uh, my wife and I, we were bike riding there in Bosa Chica and we were dry, riding through the uh, trailers, and uh, we, I saw this flag, and on the, on the flag, it was, uh, it was multicolored, the flag. And the flag had uh, words written on it, words like love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Had a couple other words on there as well that uh, uh, I was looking, and I was thinking, isn't that just like the world? The world? They are literally trying to hijack the fruit of the Spirit and uh, twist it and, make it and try to make it theirs. And I, and I saw that one word was missing, though, and that word was holiness, holiness. And you know why that word is missing? It's because it can't be hijacked. It's because God makes us holy. It's because we are holy because of what God has done within our lives, that he's called us out of that darkness, that he's separated us, that he's put his, his, his spirit into our lives. And now he's saying, be holy as I am holy. 
In other words, don't be like the world. Uh, be set aside. Be consecrated. Uh, God wants to use each and every one of us, uh, but he, 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 he needs us. To be righteous, to be holy, you know. To be spirit-filled, to live a spirit-filled life. See, the Spirit of God is, is, is the one that enables us to live godly. It's the Spirit of God that enables us to be righteous and to be holy because it's not in, in man's sinful nature to want to be these things. We, we, we fight against it. We rebel against it. And that's why it took a supernatural move of God uh, to, to be able to have these characteristic traits active within our lives. See, living for Jesus changes the world. Living for Jesus changes the world. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, it, it tells the story of this angry mob that, was, uh, that were looking for Paul and Silas. And the reason that they were looking for Paul and Silas is because Paul and Silas had been going into the synagogues and they had been preaching and teaching about Jesus, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was ruffling the religious feathers, and, and, uh, and it began to stir, it began to make this crowd angry at them. And in verses 6 through 7, it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason uh, some brethren, and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, uh, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They ran to Jason's house because they were looking for Paul and Silas, and, and Jason was a disciple, and they're saying, it's these men that have changed the world, these men that have put the world upside down. Here where they were, they were preaching a simple message Jesus can set you free. They were preaching a simple message. Jesus loves you. Jesus can set you free. There's hope in Jesus. Uh, we've, we've said that on street corners, just like them. And it's a, it's a gospel that uh, changed lives then, and it's a gospel that changes lives now. Jesus can set you free. And people's lives were being changed and transformed, and there was people coming to Jesus Christ. They were getting upset. See, Paul and Silas, they were making such a huge impact and seeing the world around them change because they understood what was going to get them through times of persecution, that was going to get them through even the, 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 the threat of death was they knew in who they served, that they live a life, they lived a life of worship. That first century church, man, they made such a powerful impact. Doors were opening uh, for them. The gospel was spreading. Pl churches were being planted. And, and you read through the book of Acts, uh, all the supernatural moves of the Holy Spirit and the miracles. And even in, in the midst of all the persecution and even martyrdom, that church was growing. Thousands were coming to faith in Christ. And it wasn't because of their eloquent speeches or their beautiful buildings or, or their programs. It was because they believed and they trusted and they had faith in the risen Savior in Jesus and what he was able to do. And they were devoted to Jesus. And they learned how to worship. They learned how to seek him in those hard times, how to get a hold of God. 
See, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, before, before that story that I just read, Paul and Silas had already been imprisoned. They had already been beaten. They had already been whipped because of the message that they were preaching. And it says that uh, while, uh, while they were there at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and, to the, and the prisoners were listening to them. 16, 25 through 34. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And then he called for a light and he ran and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This man, he heard, he, he knew who Paul and Silas were. He, he was in charge of, of keeping them, uh, guarding over them. He saw the bruises and the whips and he saw everything that had taken place upon them and, and he heard the singing and he heard the hymns. So did the other prisoners. And he felt the earthquake and he saw something supernatural take place. And he says, I want what you got. If you can endure everything that you just endured and still be singing and still be praising, I want what you got. What do I got to do to be saved? You think your life doesn't have impact? It does. People see what you go through. They they know the hardships. They might not know everything that you go through, and they might not see everything that you've experienced, but they know that you've taken some knocks and you've taken some licks, and you're still going forward for Christ. And they're saying, I want what you got. What do I need to do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word to him, the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in this house. His family got saved. In the worst circumstances, in the worst conditions, in the worst situation, they decided to worship. And I know that when we go through hard times, we're not thinking about changing the world. We're just thinking about how can I get through this? How can I get through this? That's through worship, man. Worship makes a huge, huge impact. I, I, uh, I um, uh, don't mean to in, in embarrass my mom, but I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, my mom calls me up and says, I need you to come pick me up. I'm at the store. And um, while I was here, I was uh, uh, getting a, a bottle of soap, and the soap fell into my eye, and it burned my eye. My, I can't see. So I went and I picked up my mom. I'm like, you probably should go see a doctor. Her eye was, looked like Mike Tyson and her had some words. Her eye was swollen. I said, let's pray. And I said, you probably should go to the doctor. She says, no, nah, I'm going to be okay. I, you know, we'll see what happens. And the next day she went to the emergency and the doctor said, 90% of your eye has been burned. So if you hear 90% of your eye has been burned, you're thinking, like, this is not good. This is... Uh, Man, this is not good. And I remember uh, I, she was going to see the specialist the next day. So I said, Mom, 
don't worry, God's going to heal you. God's going to do something. And she goes, she goes, look, I don't know why God allowed this to happen to me, but it happened. I'm just going to praise God, and I'm just going to trust God, and I'm just going to believe God, right? She left the specialist, and the specialist said, it's, it's, it's not a burn. It's a scratch. And, uh, you know, a week and a half later, you, you, you couldn't even tell that something took place. God healed, completely healed her eye. But she chose to worship. She chose to praise, and she chose to trust God. And when you worship, uh, other people see that. When you worship God in the midst of everything going wrong, it makes an impact. It makes a difference. It, it, it changes and it transforms. See, worship takes our eyes off of ourselves and it focuses back on Jesus. It's a lot of distractions, man. And when we're in worship, we're, we're able to once again keep our eyes focused, realign our eyes and, and, and our heart back on the Christ. Worship, it does, it heals us. It heals us not just physically, but spiritually. There's a cleansing that takes place. Worship convicts us. It's hard to lift up hands and worship a pure and holy and righteous God when there's hate in our heart, when there's sin that we're keeping secret, when there's things going on in our lives. It convicts us. But worship also breaks those chains of bondage. Worship sets the captives free. Man. And worship, it softens us. It breaks the hardness of our hearts. Man. It makes us sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, and it, and, and it makes us sensitive to others around us. See, verse 28, Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not, or do yourself no harm. We are all here. This man's life was changed and transformed because Paul and Silas knew what it went, meant to worship, and they knew what it meant to put the needs of someone else above their own needs. Because those prison doors were opened up, and you know, they were thinking, like, this is our chance to get out of here. And yet they knew and understood that if they left, this man and maybe even his family were going to die. And so they put the need of this individual, his need for salvation, his family's need for salvation ahead of their own need. These guys were world changers. World changers. They changed the world of, of this individual and his family. And when we're in tune with God and when we're walking with God, uh, when we're living for God and living right and sensitive to his Holy Spirit, God will say, hey, listen, put your need aside for a second and help your brother out. Help your sister out. I got you. I'll take care of you. Yeah, but Lord, what if I... It, we walk by faith, right? And not by sight. As a... Our worship team comes up. I really appreciate uh, this church, this ministry. And the reason I appreciate it is because as long as I've been in this church, the doors have always been open. This church, our pastor, our pastors, they understand what it means to see a need and meet a need. Whether it's our youth or our seniors, 
If there's a need, we try to meet that need. Whether it's married couples or single adults, the church tries to meet that need. Whether it's feeding the homeless or ministering to the addicted, if there's a need, I, I, I love that this church does what it can to meet that need. You know, And not just uh, within the four walls of this church, but even out into the community. Everything we do, whether it's our, 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 our bike-a-thon or our Feed the Need event or our Christmas, one, whatever, it's because we want to see souls get saved. We want to see families come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know recently that there was a, a, a um, decision there at the, uh, the, the school district uh, about opening up a Planned Parenthood, and, uh, and I know that the church came together and was out there and letting their voice be known pro-life choose life I didn't get to go I, I wasn't feeling well and I just said I'm gonna just stay back but I was hearing excellent reports I was hearing good reports just about the people speaking about the turnout about everything that was going on and taking place and um, sister Angie the other night says uh, she says hey I, I met one of your disciples and I'm thinking got me <laughs> she was telling me that uh, she was talking to this young couple uh, this young couple that had asked <clears throat> for about my wife and myself had asked about pastor reggie and sister chris uh, this young couple five kids and i was trying to remember who they were and i couldn't remember who they were and then i i realized oh i know who they are these were young teenagers that uh we ministered to back in the days at the BEAT program. Remember the BEAT, Building Excellent and Achievement in Teens. And they were telling Sister Angie, like, yeah, we were young and we were dumb and we made some mistakes. But what a blessing that this young couple with their five kids, they're saved, they're active in the things of God. They're going forward, right? Because the church was open. Because the church was open and because volunteers on a Saturday morning and a Saturday afternoon said, I'll minister, I'll work with the youth, I'll work with some teens. And these were teens that were coming in off the streets uh, from the courts, uh, from the juvenile halls. And we had individuals here that said, I'll work with them. We still have individuals here that I work with the, the same team, teens that are coming out of these same institutions. And we think sometimes, like, are they getting it? Are they listening? Yeah, they are. There's impact being made in their lives. There's change and transformation taking place. And, and although they might be struggling and although they might be uh, fighting, they're having the truth minister to them with love compassion with sternness and so when they find themselves at this place in their lives where they have no more answers they remember what was taught to them so many years ago Jesus loves you Jesus can set you free Jesus is the answer and church you might not be able to see the fruit of all your labor we might never realize the impact we all make in one another's lives but don't count yourself short and don't think what you do for Jesus is in vain. 
The Bible says it's not in vain. It's not in vain. He sees it and he's using it and he's blessing others through your labor, through your sacrifice, through how you live your life. How you living? How you living, right? I close with this. Uh, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, he has, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, you follow me as I follow Christ. Church, if we can have our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed in reverence to God.